Hi everyone, welcome back to the 21 and Sensory podcast with me, Emily. I'm super excited for today's episode as I have special guest Abigail Balf. Abigail is a Brighton-based writer, illustrator and Emmy award-winning creative producer. Abigail is an author and has just had her first book published and it's called A Different Sort of Normal and it documents how Abigail didn't realise she was autistic until she was an adult. So I reached out to her to ask if she might like to come on my podcast to chat a little bit more um, just about her life and her book, obviously. And here she is. Um, So Abigail, would you like to say hello? Hello. Hello to Emily and hello to the other people who are listening to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to start with the whole kind of autism diagnosis thing. It would be really Mm -hmm. interesting to discuss like the process and the kind of journey behind your diagnosis and if you have any other diagnoses you want to chat about, feel free. So yeah, um, if you'd like to just kind of start your story of your diagnosis. <laughs> sure. At various points throughout my life, there have been the odd suggestions from people that I might be autistic. Um, but I think people were kind of saying it to me like a joke or and I thought they were saying it like an insult because I had no idea what autism was. Um For example, when I was a teenager and I did something or said something weird and um, my brother said to my mum, by the way, mum, Abby's autistic. And Mm -hmm. she said, oh, no, she's not. Stop being silly. She's just got the creative gene. She's just a bit different. And then I remember once being in a party and I don't know, I think I said something strange and a girl who works in mental health um said to me abby are you autistic and i took that as an insult again because i had no idea what autism was and i Mm. just thought she was being rude to me um and i ended up when i ended up doing stand-up comedy i sort of brought it into my routine as like when when people meet me for the first time one of the first questions they ask me is are you autistic? Because you're taught in stand-up comedy to bring attention to the things that people notice about you when when they first meet you. So um, like my comedy teacher at the time was saying, oh, uh, well, you wear glasses, so bring up your glasses and then write, say something funny about that and then think of some other things that people think about you. And then the autism thing was something that came up. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea that I was autistic. So I kind of dismissed all of the suggestions of being autistic because I didn't know anything about being autistic. And all I knew was what I'd seen on in media or books um, that had been about like a male uh, young boy who likes trains and timetables and lists and... Um, that's what I thought autism was and that's what most people thought autism was at the time um Mm -hmm. and but then there were a couple of friends who I was really close to at college who were very similar to me and we got on really well and we were very creative and I suppose weird but weird is only weird if you compare it to some like who decides what weird is it's yeah, let, but yeah, we don't need to go into that now either. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I noticed similarities between us. And both of these girls got got diagnosed as autistic when they were in their late 20s, early 30s. And I thought, oh, 
maybe this is something I should look into actually. So I started mm-hmm. doing some research online and looking at YouTube videos and Instagram. And um, as a lot of autistic women, I think, have done, I found that checklist by Samantha Craft, um, the unofficial checklist of yeah. um, some, uh, traits of autism in girls. And mm-hmm. I fit almost all of them. And I thought, okay, this is definitely something. <laughs> and then autism became my new special interest. And um, and then I became, I read loads of books and just kept absorbing all of the information about it. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is it. I am autistic. And that explains so much of my life to me. And I, I um, went to the doctor to talk about it with a big list of uh, why I think I didn't get managed to get to the end of the list because it was so long. And they said, why don't you just email me the list? <laughs> and um, okay. but she's already decided, yes, we, we will refer you. Um, and so I was, uh, the local commissioning group had to um, approve funding for the NHS referral. So mm-hmm. I had a few, a few weeks wait for that. And um, they went through the standard questions, um, questions out of 50, which are outdated still. And um, yeah, but I scored high in the autism side of things. And they agreed to put me on the waiting list for an NHS assessment. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, during that time, I was still researching and really really just wanting this diagnosis to happen and I was also getting quite scared that what if I didn't get diagnosed as autistic then what's wrong with me um yeah and I'm, I'm doing those hand things quote marks by the way around the words okay. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh yeah um and I started writing a blog um about being autistic and I started I think I started a line saying I'm writing this from the past and because when you will have when you're reading this I will have been diagnosed as autistic and then and then I'd written the blog nearly all like several months before I got the diagnosis and then once Mm -hmm. it happened I thought now I can publish it and it's true and I knew it would be because I was so certain that autism was the answer and Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, going back to the diagnosis process, um, it took quite a long time before I heard back. And then my mum had to do a three hour interview on the phone about my life. And, Mm -hmm. um, because she's also now on the waiting list for an autism assessment, age 67, um, that interview took it out of her. She had to lie down in a quiet room dark, oh, for a few hours afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she had to fill in some forms and then I had to fill in lots of forms. And finally, I had the um, ADOS assessment, which is something that, again, is quite outdated because they ask you to do things that are mostly designed for children and not somewhat, not people who are used to being in the world and masking like mm-hmm. um, many um 
girls, uh, trans, non-binary people are, and um, yeah. So, like one of the one of the things they asked me to do was um, create a story out of this bag of objects and then they put the objects on the table and there was like a little plastic car and then there was a rubber and then there was a cocktail stick with an umbrella thing on it so (laughs) i told a story about how my dad took a tub of ice cream back to the supermarket after it had melted and i used the little car to show him driving to the supermarket and then him having an argument with the person in the supermarket saying, look, my ice cream has melted and um, it's faulty and I, I want an exchange. So they gave him an exchange and he took his ice cream home again and thinking, okay, they'll give it a second go. Um, but lo and behold, again, the ice cream melted oh, and he was not pleased so he he took his ice cream back to Asda again and said look I've had it up to here with this ice cream there's obviously something wrong with it I want my money back it's melted again mm-hmm. so the person looking looked at him a bit of confusion and said okay he you can you can have your money back and my dad went home and he was telling me the story in the pub and he was really really annoyed um and he just couldn't understand what would happen. I said, Dad, where had you been storing your ice cream? And he said, in the cupboard. And with absolutely oh. no irony. And oh. I had to kind of explain, you know, ice, the word ice is, is in, the, <laughs> in the word of ice cream. It's, it's a bit yeah. of a hint. Anyway, mm. um, the, oh. the moral of this story is that uh, I told that story. And because it's a story I've told many times, um, I was able to tell it quite well. And then afterwards mm-hmm. I said to the woman, uh, if you wonder why I was able to tell that story quite so well, it's because it's a real story that happened in my life. And um, then in the in the thing they wrote up afterwards, they were saying, well, she, the story she told wasn't really a story because it was something that happened in her life. And I think it's mm-hmm. quite funny to think of now because, like, there are lots of autistic authors who write fiction mm-hmm. and um like <laughs> there are lots of us who are really creative and great at writing stories and i feel like i don't know if i'd have made something up mm-hmm. um they then i probably wouldn't have, i don't know then i wouldn't have seemed autistic enough and mm. like the way that the exams are arranged are yeah based on outdated beliefs and yeah need to change it's ridiculous that you had to do an activity like that like you you were in your 30s i'm right when you had your assessment that's ridiculous why are you being you know it should just be a kind of talking assessment sort of thing once you're past you know, the children's sort of age of, you know, like I, I don't understand that is such an outdated method of assessing someone. <laughs> it, it was so strange. And they also showed me this picture. It was like a sort of where's Wally type picture. And they were saying, oh, this, this is a picture of a holiday. And um, what do you think these people are doing on the holiday and stuff? And like, mm. and And then at the beginning of the thing, she started the thing by saying, 
um, oh, um, I've just been on holiday. And I thought, well, you're obviously asking me that. So, so like, you'll see if I ask, oh, have you been anywhere nice? Well, I'm not going to rise to it. And, um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that assessment happened. Um, they did mm-hmm. also ask um, questions um, about um, life and feelings and they asked me to describe emotions and how emotions feel and what like I know a lot of autistic people can find it hard to identify their own emotions and Mm -hmm. um there's a word for that which I can't pronounce (laughs) it's like yeah lexithemia isn't it that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I I think it's like where you can't describe your emotions or yes. your feelings. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think I'm better at describing like the physical sensations of emotions rather than mm. what what I am. Like sometimes, um, like I've, I've got a friend who instead of asking me how are you feeling, she'll say, "I wonder how you're feeling now." Um, uh, maybe tomorrow you could send me a message and let me know. <laughs> and then so okay. the next day, I'll write a message saying, this is how I was feeling yesterday. <laughs> Excellent. Um, the time to reflect is sometimes necessary because it's not. I don't always know in the moment. So that happened. And then a few weeks mm-hmm. later, I was called in for the final assessment with a psychiatrist. And mm-hmm. as I walked in, the woman said to me, um, well, I can already tell you you're somewhere on the spectrum, but we just need to work out where. <laughs> uh, so okay. then she asked lots more questions, and um, it felt more relaxed and a better conversation than the other one, which <laughs> felt like a school teacher telling me to do things. Yeah. Um, and were you told after the first one that you might be autistic, or did you have to wait till the second appointment? No, they didn't give any indication on that on that first what? one. Um, oh my god so you had to wait yeah even no it was lots of waiting all loads of waiting (laughs) um but Mm. in that final assessment um at the end she said aspergers which i thought aspergers had been Mm. phased out by that time but apparently not um in in that area of london anyway um Mm. but now i just say autistic because yeah Mm -hmm. we all know that (laughs) well all of the Asperger's connotations yeah it's more sort of widely understood isn't it than yeah Asperger's like when I was diagnosed I was told that they they don't they don't like use that word anymore but it's interesting Mm. when were you diagnosed um so I think it was 2019 yeah but I didn't have any like activities or anything to do in mine mine was just a talking assessment oh so really it's really interesting to compare <laughs> yeah yeah did you have um was there did you have more than one assessment like real in person no so I had like a questionnaire obviously to do beforehand mm. and then they were like yeah you can go on the waiting list and then I took my mum to my appointment and it was like four hours and there was a segment where they just talked to her about like my life so kind of what your mum did on the phone um but the rest of it was like questions 
at me and I was told on the day if they thought I was autistic so ah. it's interesting that yours was so different yeah I think it, it I was gonna say it happens differently in different parts of the country but I was in London at the time but I suppose mm. different parts of London is strange but it feels yeah. like there should be some sort of wide like <laughs> you know I don't know You'd think it would be similar. <laughs> mm. <laughs> How long did um, you like have to wait on the waiting list? Was that a long wait? It was one year and eight months, I think, or one year, one and a half okay. years. Or mm-hmm. yeah, but I know the wait is that felt really long. But I know, I know the wait is yeah. a lot longer now, and my mum's been on the waiting list for about two and a half years. Um, oh, really. Yeah, and I know friends, I've got a friend who's been on the waiting list for about two and a half years as well, um, and that's in two different areas of the country. Mm-hmm. I love that your mum is on a waiting list as well, yeah, I think that's really, that's really amazing, and bless her for recounting all your childhood stuff and it completely wiping her out. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and also, oh. and also, I suppose like she she couldn't remember a lot of things um, mm. as well, and like things that would things that she would think were normal for a childhood and a family, um, actually were neurodivergent things. Um, yeah, and she just thought, well, everyone, we're all like this, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and like she wanted me to have an easier childhood than she did and she wanted me to and because she'd been told by her mum like it's important to make friends and you don't want to be lonely and you should have more friends and um so she was encouraging me to be social and to have parties and she arranged this punch and judy party which I mentioned in my book um yes even though it was hard for her and it was hard for me and even my brother who was only a few months old at the time told me the other day he very remembers very distinctly being in this party and looking around thinking why is everyone laughing and why does everyone why is everyone enjoying this and even like him as a baby Mm. um (laughs) knew that it wasn't something that we like we were different as children and Mm. and I think yeah Oh, he hasn't been diagnosed as autistic, or, but um, we've had discussions about it and we think he's probably ADHD and potentially some autism, some autism. It's, it's <laughs> funny because there's so much crossover with yeah. um, the experiences and, yeah. And I'm also on a waiting list for an ADHD assessment now. Um, oh, are you? Okay, that's interesting. It's really interesting how through you, the rest of your family have been able to sort of see it within themselves as well. Like it's interesting that you can almost trace it back through your family as well. Yeah, and it does run in families. And I'm pretty Mm. sure my nan was autistic as well. And she, like, there's this common misconception about autistic people not 
wanting friends or like not being particularly social and but my nan was always encouraging my mum to have friends and my nan she kind of hyper focused and had had a special interest in mm. friendships and friends and she would write lists of her friends and she'd have um she'd like write big things of what happened each time she saw her friends and how many mm. christmas cards she got and who she was going to see and what this person was doing and what they'd done for her and stuff and mm. um my mum was totally the opposite of that and I suppose I'm kind of in the middle and mm. I enjoy friendships a lot but I also enjoy being on my own. So I was going to ask you about like the the whole kind of idea of masking and what your sort of experience of it is like. So have you, now that you know you're autistic, is it something that you notice you're doing or knew that you were doing before? I just, I find it interesting mm. to know what people think. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I feel like masking is something I'm still kind of learning about what I do that is masking because mm-hmm. I've been doing things, being me for so many years, not knowing I was autistic and mm. um. I suppose only now I'm thinking, oh, that is masking. And I remember when I started my um, master's degree in children's book illustration, um, which was maybe three or four years ago. And um, I I remember starting like the first two weeks, I felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm, a fun friendly person and I'm going to make friends with everyone and um, I was really high energy and just talking to people all the time and telling funny jokes and I was thinking yeah I'm a person I'm doing social things and I'm enjoying it (laughs) and this is great Uh, and then as the weeks went on I thought I can't keep this up anymore and Mm -hmm. it's like I've been sort of acting in some comedy role and now I've lost my energy and I can't even talk in most of the lessons and yeah I suppose it's like that with I suppose sometimes going to social events and I can start off um but it, sometimes it doesn't feel like Martin. Like it, sometimes it feels like having fun, and mm-hmm. um, sometimes like I don't know where. I think there's a. Um, see, I've only just been recently realizing that I've probably got ADHD as well, and mm. this crossover between the two, um, yeah. which are, yeah, which have a lot of similarities. Um, I feel like that has a part to play in mm, masking. Yeah, I suppose. Well, I'm not sure how how to say it. Uh, try to work. I know out what you mean though. Words. That there's you. You almost if there's a crossover between autism and ADHD, you don't know which is which. And yes, I guess that's I know quite what hard I mean. in itself. <laughs> it's because um, I feel like the. ADHD side of me wants to have fun and go out and be spontaneous and make jokes and go on stage and um, Mm. tell funny stories and then uh, have a fun time. But then there's the autism side, which uh, I want to stay in my room and 
not have to expend any energy talking to mm-hmm. anyone and mm-hmm. um the I, I know there's a lot of crossover with the sensory stuff um mm-hmm. with both autism and ADHD um by the way I'm not an expert on any of this so um no, people might not I mean, this is this is stuff that I've been learning as I go along, and mm-hmm. um, obviously, um, I can only speak from my experience and from what I've yeah. read and heard from people I know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there does seem to be this push and pull between autism and ADHD, and balance can sometimes be hard to achieve. Um, and it's only something I've noticed re- recently from working from home since COVID mm-hmm. because when I used to work in an office every day, I'd be totally exhausted and sensory overload every day. Um, mm-hmm. I could start the day um, sometimes being quite high energy and have some funny conversations, but by the end of the day, I'd lose the power to speak and um yeah I just go home exhausted and yeah and it would be quite easy to sleep um Mm -hmm. but since working from home although it's easier to concentrate um in some ways with not having all of the office sounds and people walking around and impromptu meetings and uh like weird temperatures and having to get onto the public transport to get some to get there and even having sensory overload on the way to work which obviously affects the rest of the day um but from home i can control my environment which is really helpful um Mm -hmm. but then also i found myself kind of trying to control it too much like i haven't got the right level of silence and stimulation like I need mm-hmm. so then I put music on. I think is it the right sound? I'm not sure. Oh, this bit of the room looks a bit untidy. I need to make this look clearer. And when okay. I sort of not having the back and forth conversations and and like funny bits of having people around, yeah. Which I also <laughs> noticed because I moved to Brighton after I split up with my long term partner who I was living with, and okay. f- went from that to living alone and. Um, working from home so Mm -hmm. it's quite a big difference and I'm rambling again what what was the question (laughs) (laughs) so we were talking about masking but it was interesting you went into like workplace stuff because it's really interesting to hear from someone who also like had to work in an open plan office and then switched to remote working because that's exactly what I've had to do as well yeah I remember we were talking about this Mm. yeah the way you describe an open, open plan office is exactly it it's just too much (laughs) Mm. but I get what you mean about remote working is that you kind of have this need to control your environment and if something's a bit untidy it's like oh I need to deal with that because it'll take up that mind space kind of thing I don't know if that's what you kind of meant yeah yeah like objects and everything just Mm -hmm. it adds to adds to the overload and yeah yeah and I find now that I'm working from home I need to be so strict with myself like I write lists um (laughs) typical autistic stereotype (laughs) but um and it's Virgo season at the moment although it might not be when this goes out so but 
I mean, Moral October, is that still? Mm, no, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> it is at uh, the time of recording. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so I've been writing lists. So I need to have something to cross off because I need to feel I've achieved something. So mm-hmm. on my list, like the first thing I've got on my list, I haven't got Wake Up, actually. I should I should put that one on because that might help. But um, <laughs> I have got uh, the first drink I will have, which will be herb water with lemon in it. Then I have a slash that says, oh, prepare coffee. Then I have another one, do some stretching, and then shower, and then um, eat a sandwich with this in it, and then do this bit of work, and then do this Mm -hmm. bit of work. And, yeah, I feel like I really need to have as many lists that, I can cross off as possible at the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you find that that like routine and that's like you need that structure to feel, you know, kind of happy and like you're achieving things? I totally get that that like yes. having that routine gives you that like, I don't know, just that kind of safety. <laughs> yeah. Even when I've not been working from home, I've needed routine. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've always had a very... I've always had a very strict morning routine of how mm-hmm. how I have to do things and what time I have to do them. And I remember once when it was my birthday and my girlfriend had planned something that was a surprise and she needed me to not do my morning routine. And I was like, mm, I can't oh. I can't do this thing now. I have to do this first. And she yeah. said, no, you have to open this envelope now because otherwise it's going to affect this bit of the surprise. And and then I think oh. it took quite some, quite some persuading for me to not have my shower when I was supposed to and then not make mm-hmm. a certain drink when I was going to. Mm-hmm. Um and then she said, yeah, I don't think we'll do this next year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, just the same with, like, surprises. It's, oh, it's, it just throws you off, doesn't it? And like you say, it will, like, potentially ruin your routine or your days, like, out of sync or something. So at least yeah. they appreciated that they weren't going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, but then I felt, oh, it was a really nice surprise, though, and we had a really nice day. <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> but I, yeah, so I suppose sometimes... Sometimes, you know, balance and compromise is good. And yeah, yeah, I don't want to be too rigid all the time in everything because mm. sometimes it can be fun to do spontaneous things. And mm. that is yeah. very true, indeed. Um, so why don't we chat about your work as a kind of creative producer, which you've kind of mentioned that you're kind of working from home, but also as an author and illustrator? Like, I am utterly fascinated by the fact that you wrote a book which is a huge thing to do but you also illustrated that book those are two separate jobs that you did at the same time like (laughs) that's insane like can you talk me through them like did you write the book first like how does it work (laughs) what happened was because I was on my MA in children's book illustration and I got Mm -hmm. my diagnosis while I was on the course I think in the final year and um I was in we keep a sketchbook and do whatever we want in the sketchbook so I was Mm -hmm. doing little doodles about um finding out I was autistic and then doing a few little drawings and with words about memories of things that had happened in my childhood and stuff 
And as these little doodles and anecdotes came together, I thought, ooh, this could actually make a book about growing up autistic and not knowing I was autistic. Um, so, yeah, I decided to make it, make the book, work towards making a book about that for a middle grade mm-hmm. audience um, as my final degree show piece. Um, and, yeah, it started off a bit more picture booky, and... Mm-hmm. Um, then I, I didn't. I made a dummy um, with a sort of sample of pages in it, and that was presented at my degree show. And okay. yeah, and then lots of publishers and agents and people um, came to the show. And actually, a few days before the show, um, we th- uh, there was a booklet that was given out of all of our work to publishers and agents, and. Mm-hmm. I had an email from Emily at United Agents inviting me in for a chat. Um, oh. So I ended up um, basically securing an agent like one day before my degree show. <laughs> um, Amazing. <laughs> which was quite exciting. And mm-hmm. yeah, and then after the degree show, I had quite maybe uh, maybe about seven publishers or something got in touch. And Whoa. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, yeah, I had meetings with quite a few of them. And um, I created a sample submission based on what I did for my degree show of what I'd like a different sort of normal to be um, with examples of illustrations and text um, and an accompanying sort of thing about me and where it would sit in the marketplace. And... Uh, my agent sent that round and um, uh, we, yes, there was an auction and we ended up going with Puffin Books uh, who are amazing and really got my vision for the book. And um, yeah, it's, it was, well, I started writing yeah, after the after giving in the sample, um, I ended up doing writing most of the book um, mm-hmm. in a Word document, and then I did um, notes about what I wanted the illustrations to be, and then I'd put maybe a few little examples of illustrations in throughout. Um, and then after the all the text was signed off, then I moved on to the illustrations. Um, okay. And ideally, we would have done roughs for everything first, but um, we were quite short on time, so I went straight to final artwork. And (laughs) I was basically doing about five or six spreads every night after after my other job, and Mm. for for, like every day for I can't remember how long it was, but it wasn't. I suppose it wasn't that long. Wow. And the whole process was quite quick. And because I realized mm-hmm. the other day, um, I had an app that says, this is what you were doing this time last year. And okay. um, it said I'd signed my contract with Puffin Books. And then I was thinking, 
my book's in the shops now. And <laughs> yeah. I, I signed the contract a year ago. How has this wow. happened so quickly? That um, is so quick to not only write and draw it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Puffin have been amazing to work with. Um, oh, and made great. the process really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've read the book because you sent me a copy, which was super Yay. kind of you. Um, <laughs> and I loved it. And I love how visual it is because a lot of books are not very visual. They're very text heavy. But this was like a beautiful balance of like not a ridiculous amount of words, but loads of images at the same time, which was lovely. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I wanted it to be as accessible to um, as many people as possible because I know... Mm. Um, um, like neurodivergent brains can sometimes have a short attention span or um, mm-hmm. like I, I've had a quite a few messages from parents of dyslexic children who have said like, this is the first book my child's managed to read for over a year <laughs> and oh. um, people with ADHD as well and mm-hmm. I think it's yeah it, I'm really pleased that the way it's laid out has has sort of achieved what I wanted it to in its accessibility because mm-hmm. I know that I would have found it a lot easier to consume a book that's um, you know sporadic bits of because sometimes if you've got um, if you've got facts and things like complicated words and sentences because as I said in the book when adults talk about autism they use complicated sounding sentences and words and Mm -hmm. stuff and then you've got these words like neurodivergent and neurotypical and holistic and for a young child it might is quite a lot to um to take in if you haven't heard all this stuff before so i wanted the book to be as fun to learn about these things and to be Mm -hmm. interspersed with funny little stories and footnotes and little speech bubbles and things so that Mm -hmm. it's not just it's not a book of like it's not like a reference book even though it's usually found in a reference section of most bookshops but um it is a reference book but it's also lots of other things um Hmm. (laughs) and you can like dip i love that you can like dip in and out of it and it's not like you have to read it like chapter by chapter like it's not that format and i think you've said before that you're like not someone that tells a story from like start to end. I think I've like, yeah. I think I saw, I think I watched one of the like CBC book club things that you did. And mm. you said, you know, you're very much someone that kind of goes in and around things. And I think that's really interesting and in how you've written the book as well. I think that's why it's almost like more readable in a way because you can dip in and out whenever you like. There's no like commitment to like, oh, I've got to finish like this chapter. You can start and finish reading whenever you like, which I think is really great. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I hoped it would. Um, yeah, because I kind of wrote it in the style of how I how I talk. Um, mm. But lucky, I was able to go back and edit it. Otherwise, it would have been a lot longer. Actually, it was supposed <laughs> to be a lot shorter than it is now. It was only supposed. It was basically supposed to be about half the size of what it is. Really, but um, I kept rambling, and some of the rambling came out. But we realised we needed to keep most of it because it was it felt mm-hmm. like it was needed in the book. At least it's like better to have too much than too little because you can kind of cut yeah. down too much. Yeah, 
I think too much is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do you like, how are you finding all the like book, like PR stuff? Is it like scary? Like it must be like great, obviously to hear people giving you like nice feedback, but is it, is it weird to have been on like a master's course and then like straight into being an author? <laughs> Um, well, it feels quite nice and I'm really enjoying it and I'm just mm -hmm. really grateful because, um, it's, it's something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to write books and draw and have books that people can read and enjoy. And I wanted to write mm -hmm. things that I would have wanted to write and look at when I was a child and, I'm just so grateful that it's happened so quickly and that people are actually liking what it is. Um, mm -hmm. The PR stuff, um, it's been fun. And I, I think I've, I thought I would find it more scary than I have. Um, like mm -hmm. doing radio interviews and stuff and um, the the book CBBC book club um and I think I suppose due to the working from home COVID stuff um mm -hmm. it's been easier to do things in my own environment so I can um you know properly focus and plan and know what I'm going to say and not have yeah distractions apart from, apart from the seagulls outside and um, the neighbors <laughs> shouting and the cars um <laughs> and these headphones which are creaking but um, <laughs> um but yeah it's been it's been really fun but I've got my first real life author event um mm -hmm. coming up this weekend which I'm a bit mm -hmm. nervous about because I haven't done a real life thing yet and that's, that's the so Evening Standard Stories Festival uh, panel with Holly Smale and Elm McNichol. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm excited, but I'm a bit nervous because I won't be able <laughs> to have my notes. Well, I might be able to. I suppose I could. Yeah. I mean, it's, on your it's autism. Yeah. I could bring it with me and I could make it a thing. Yeah. This will be yeah, in the past not? when everyone's listening to this. It will be. Everyone <laughs> will know what the answer is. Well, I, I, I will anyway. I'm actually going to the um, I'm going to the evening talk on on Saturday. Oh, I think yeah. Holly and Sarah are doing like an evening yeah. talk at the Picture House. So I'm going to that. Oh. But um, I'm excited to like I'm scared to go in real person to go and sit in an audience. So I can yeah. only imagine that it's scary to be on a stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm looking forward to it as well. It's been yeah. it's been a, it's been a while since being on a stage. Um, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, back to masking actually, because that's something I talked about in my book. Because um, mm -hmm. I realised I really enjoyed drama at school and acting, and when and I, I was I was approached by someone about I don't know if you heard of the BBC. Um, a show Dinosaur, um, which features an autistic um, lead actress. Um, okay. And I, I auditioned for it last year and I got down to quite, quite, a, quite a late stage and oh, wow. it, was really, it was really fun. And I was thinking, like, acting is kind of similar to masking, and it, mm -hmm. but this... I don't know. It feels like 
I like playing a role like that takes me out of my life for a moment and um you can be totally absorbed in something else and playing this part and I suppose sometimes masking is like that but yeah it's different because it's draining yeah it's different <laughs> I'm not explaining it very well no no no, no I think you are um, I think I wrote something better in my book about it if in um, doubt we'll refer to your book don't worry <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'm now going to ask you a very straightforward question which is what are your special interests other than autism like I'd love to know like feel free to info dump mm, my special interests <laughs> well mm-hmm. um I've got a whole section in my book about special interests. Um, let's refer to that. Um, I, how can I not remember what my special interests are? The thing is, they change all the time. Yeah, I've put you on the spot as well. I'm At the moment, I've been quite obsessed. Well, I've always been really obsessed with crystals and mm-hmm. healing things. And mm-hmm. sometimes I forget about them for a while. But then the other day I went to Glastonbury and everything was a magical spiritual healing place with crystals (laughs) everywhere and then I got into Mm -hmm. researching crystals and their meanings and uses again and Mm -hmm. yeah and and on my desk at work I used to have lots of crystals and I used to always um wash them and then put them in the window and then and Sometimes, like, if people would need a crystal for a certain use, I'd say, why don't you hold this crystal? And um, that might help you. <laughs> like a library of crystals. What a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I also used to have a um, a selection of uh, bark flower remedies on my desk that were for when people had problems. There was one for focus, and there was one for um, oh. calm, and then there was... Um, yeah different things and people used to come to my desk saying please can I have some of this today (laughs) (laughs) you're like a little pharmacy oh yeah and I used to also send Reiki to people in my office I remember really yeah I remember once when my colleague had a stomach ache so I was like right let's take a break and we went into the meeting room and then I Reiki his stomach for a few minutes and then he felt better and then went back to work (laughs) excellent I love that (laughs) yeah Reiki is one of my special interests. But mm-hmm. I, I, I know it can be. Well, wait. What else? What else? I'm looking I at my feel book. Like in, in your book, you like said about like birth charts and like horoscopes. Oh yeah. Is that another like? Yeah. So I'm very into, um, yeah, working out people's birth charts. But you can. Mm-hmm. I used to do it with a website, but now there's obviously the apps you can do it on so mm-hmm. i'm quite obsessed with checking the apps every day to see what the um what the moon and the planets are doing and how it okay. relates to the people in my life yeah and also um yes that's one thing cuz um mm-hmm. getting to know friends better and understanding mm-hmm. them i found working out birth charts to be a really helpful thing to know how people why people are the way they are and how I can best relate to them and communicate with them. Because, like, there's Mm -hmm. the planet Mercury is the planet of communication. And if someone's Mercury is in... is in oh I don't know an example but <laughs> yeah, but but I can sort of think oh that's how they communicate and that 
and compared with how I communicate because my air, my Mercury is an Aries, so okay. I do this and they do that, and um, yeah, my nan got me into all of this because she had a massive collection of big encyclopedic astrology books, one for every star sign, and she used to um to you know talk about well if this friend is like this then you probably get on with them because of this and i found it all very interesting and i still do and i know lots of people don't and it's not for everybody but it helps me feel grounded in a way um even though it's about the stars yeah it's really fascinating and your nan sounds like a legend like she sounded like such an interesting character <laughs> yeah yeah she was quite a character um <laughs> i wonder if i've got a fun yeah like she used to if she was feeling a bit anxious she would um just stop and sit down in the middle of the shopping center and meditate <laughs> excellent she, uh, she had no sort of inhibitions and like she didn't care what anyone thought of her and she would just do what 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 made her happy and mm-hmm. uh yeah i admire that yeah i think we should all be a bit more like that oh yes <laughs> you have some brilliant stories and especially like during your book as well it's so like i love how much you've included like your family and your friends in it because it just shows how important they are to you but also like how much they've influenced you as well and it's really nice to I don't know get a sense of where you come from I think that's really important ah thank you I'm glad you liked it (laughs) I didn't ask you about like if you have like a go-to like sensory item or if you're like a someone that uses fidgets and stuff I don't know if you if you are or not I really like soft things like Mm -hmm. I wrote in my book about how much I like soft things and like as I as I'm here now talking, I'm smoothing the very soft rug that's on the floor of my pink tent. And mm-hmm. um, once I bought a jumper, a sweatshirt that was the sleeves inside was so soft that it made me cry because I didn't realize I could oh. guess I get a texture that was so soft. And that was only a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't discover comfortable clothes until that recently because I used to try and be all like, I don't know, I, I, what I thought fashion was and copying people mm-hmm. um, as is classic with the with an autistic person trying mm-hmm. to mirror their friends, changing, yeah. changing the uh, fashion according to who I was hanging out with as a teenager um (laughs) but the question was oh yes well actually i also wrote in my book about how um how i like soft blankets and one day i'll invest in a weighted blanket well Mm -hmm. puffin very kindly bought me a really nice weighted blanket to say well done for my book stop it that is the best gift ever from a publisher (laughs) and Tom my editor carried it all the way to Brighton as well and it was very heavy (laughs) oh my god they're so heavy oh bless (laughs) that's amazing what oh that is the the pinnacle in gifts and how are you how are you finding it do you like it 
Yes, thanks. It's um yeah, after after I met them for lunch, I went home and put the blanket on my bed and just laid under it for hours. And I thought, yes, this is good. <laughs> and I'll enjoy it oh. even more in the winter. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm also a huge fan of weighted blankets, so I get you. It's yeah. It's <laughs> ideal for bedtime. It's ideal for when you just need the weight on you and you can just sit yeah. under it. <laughs> soft oh, socks so cool. as well and uh, i i mm-hmm. like a few days ago i bought a sort of chewy necklace thing i thought let's try that see what that's like but mm-hmm. it, it feels a bit large to be chewing <laughs> and i thought oh, okay. isn't it weird like i don't know having saliva floating all over your clothes when you're walking <laughs> around <laughs> When you put it like that. Especially, especially in COVID times. <laughs> yes. <so. laughs> Might avoid that. At least she gave it a go. Because sometimes like, I feel with a lot of like fidgets and sensory stuff, you almost have to try it and then be like, oh no, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think okay. soft things is my go-to. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. There's lots of textures I don't like. Like mm-hmm. the feel of a kitchen roll against my hands is too much. And, okay. like bristles of a broom going across the floor and mm. oh, there's lots of lots of things that make me shudder sound is my okay. worst like the well the combination of different sensory things is what causes the most sensory overload but also when i hear a neighbor walking on the ceiling above me i can feel it in my veins and it makes like makes mm-hmm. me it makes my veins hurt <laughs> oh. and yeah yeah like oh, I can feel little. like things absorbing into my skin and like through my mm-hmm. crown chakra and my third eye <laughs> I'm gonna sound very <laughs> weird now but yes I can no. feel my third eye open and <laughs> I haven't seen many things yet but I'm working on it um Look out for that you... in book number 29. Um, <laughs> when soon. I've managed to open my third eye enough. <laughs> so actually, where can people buy your book? Because that's what we want people to do. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Well, my book is available in most bookshops. Well, actually, mm-hmm. maybe it's not. There's... <laughs> actually, I oh, went no. into someone, it wasn't there. And then I, I said, hey, what about my book? Um I, I keep I keep really bothering the booksellers, um, mainly just in my local area because I don't want to get on a train. But I, I'm sure W. H. Smith and Brighton are probably sick of the sight of me. <laughs> <laughs> Where is my book? <laughs> well, I think there's been some stocking issues generally in the book world at the moment, mm-hmm. and not all books are ending up being where they should be. Um, okay, but. To answer the question, mm-hmm. my book is available in lots of places such as Amazon, Blackwells, Foils, Hive, Waterstones, WH Smith, um, and also local bookshops. Obviously, great to support your local bookshop. And you can find out your local bookshop on bookshop.org. Um, yeah, and places can also order it in as well Mm -hmm. um amazing yeah 
How exciting. And am I right in thinking that you have, you signed like a two book deal? So have you got like another book in the works? Is that Yes, yes. Ooh. I am currently working on my second book, which is a picture book for younger mm. readers. Um, and it's also an autism related one. Okay, exciting. Gosh, yeah. you, I don't know how you're juggling like your full time job and like you were saying, doing stuff in the evenings as well. Like you are a very organized well. individual to be doing this. <laughs> my, my, luckily, my job um, isn't full time at the moment. Um, okay. it, I started mm-hmm. off full time there, but now I'm part time. So, um, and I arrange my hours across the week according to projects and what I'm doing. So, Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's yeah okay that's good I'm glad you've yeah. like <laughs> found a balance <laughs> I was gonna say if you were full-time I was like how are you doing this <laughs> yeah full-time would be very difficult <laughs> yay awesome and where can people find you online as well so what are your social media handles my social media handles are at abigail balf and that's on instagram facebook and twitter what i'll do is i'll put the links in the description so oh, yeah if anyone's listening and they want to find you they can click down below it's been so nice to chat to you it's lovely to chat to you thank you for inviting me and thank you for the talking and everything no worries thank you very much for being up for it <laughs>